0: If you guys didn't know, this week is Thanksgiving, Thursday. So, if you forgot, go get your turkey. Um, I'm going to be talking about a very predictable topic today, Thanksgiving, thankfulness. Um, Thanksgiving is my favorite favorite holiday. It's my top holiday. It's above Christmas. It's above every other holiday. Uh, the main reason I like it is the food. It's that's, that's my favorite kind of food. I think the best food comes out on Thanksgiving, Another reason I like Thanksgiving is it's in the fall. Uh, I really like the fall. It's my favorite time of year. A lot of good memories in the fall. But the thing is, it's in the fall where I'm from, down south. It's not necessarily in the fall here. So that one kind of doesn't work in Vermont. It's a lot more of an Arctic fall that you guys have up here. Uh, Another reason I like Thanksgiving, I kind of consider it the sort of the neglected middle child of holidays. Okay, I call it that. It doesn't get as much attention as, as the firstborn got, and it doesn't get the attention that the baby gets. It's sort of the ne- neglected middle child. I say that because it's sandwiched right in between Halloween and Christmas. Those are the two most celebrated holidays in America, which I think is kind of ironic. But anyways, it's sandwiched in between the two biggest holidays of the year. It's, it's sort, it doesn't get a lot of attention. There's not a lot of hype around Thanksgiving, and I like that, because to me, hype is a killer. Hype kills enjoyment for me. That's, it kind of kills Christmas, because I think Christmas, there's, there's a ton of hype on Christmas. You know, it's the biggest holiday of the year. None of the hype is Jesus-centered hype. It's all self-centered, present-centered, Santa-centered, that sort of thing. Um, if, if, G- if Christmas wasn't about Jesus, I would, I would hate Christmas. I would, I would have nothing to do with it. But I love Jesus, so I love Christmas. I'll, I'll sacrifice and, and try to be happy during Christmas time. Um, but hype, hype is an enjoyment killer. It's like that when I, when I see a preview for a movie. You know, a movie comes out and it gets all these rave reviews. two thumbs up, go see this movie, and it wins all these awards. Um, if I ever see a preview like that, I just I never go see the movie. Because all that hype builds my expectations. And if I know, if I go see that thing, it's going to be terrible. It's happened before, so I don't even spend my $27 on a movie ticket anymore. It's happened enough. I, it's, not, it's not worth my time. Um, because the hype destroys destroys my enjoyment. But enough, enough about hype. Let's get back. I kind of skipped over the food. Let's talk about food some. okay? So when I was a kid, I grew up. I live near my extended family. My my, grandmother was on, my grandparents were on one side of our house, and our neighbors on the other side were my great-grandparents. And all up and down our street were my dad's aunts and uncles, cousins, second cousins twice removed, and all those other things. I don't know what they're all called, but we all got together. Every holiday, everybody cooked and brought food, and we hung out. And Thanksgiving was my favorite because the best... The best food came out on Thanksgiving. Do you guys like Thanksgiving food, or is it just like regular food to you guys? Is it good food? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, it's my favorite. Thank you. Um, I often prepare for Thanksgiving by skipping breakfast. I want to make sure I've got plenty of room down here. I don't know if you know this, but Thanksgiving is the only day where gluttony doesn't count as a sin. It's okay to be gluttony. That's a joke, by the way. Um, so I often skip breakfast so I can eat more food. You know, I want to try, I got to get my usual three plates of food and two plates of dessert. That's my standard. I try, I try to hit that every year. Um, but one thing I've noticed as I reflect on Thanksgivings, it, it's kind of sad. I've never really taken the time to truly be thankful, to, to truly think about all that I have to be thankful for and to experience just a sincere gratitude, at least not any more than I would on a normal day. On a normal day, I might pray over my meal and thank God for my food and my family. And and on Thanksgiving, you're often forced to do that sort of thing. You know, you guys have probably been there where you get your plate together. You know, it's piled so high, you kind of have to use two hands if it's a paper plate. Um, And you go, you sit down at your table, you're trying to be patient, you're waiting for everybody to come Sit down. You're trying to be patient for me. My stomach's growling. I'm starving. I just want to grab the roll and take a bite really quick and hope no one notices. Um, But you're sitting there. The last person sits down, and you're like, finally, we can start eating. But then somebody, somebody has the audacity, and they stand up and say, hey, guys, wait a minute. Before we eat, let's go around and say what we're thankful for. Have you guys had to do that? To me, that is, that, that's the worst, you know? I'm so impatient. And anybody who knows me knows that if I go very long without food, I pretty much am not a Christian anymore. I, I can be a terrible person if I go too long without food. So I'm often sitting there. I haven't eaten breakfast. I'm starving. last thing I want to do is hear everyone say that they're thankful for their family or their country or whatever. The, there's always the usual, the usual answers. And I, you just have to say, "Oh, I'm thankful for my family," and just follow right along. So, but that's not the kind of thankfulness I'm talking about. The thankfulness I'm talking about is a sincere, a sincere gratitude. And what I've realized is that you guys probably know this already, but I'm starting to learn. Thanksgiving, thankfulness, it's it's a condition of your heart. It's not just saying thank you. It's not praying before a meal. Um, It's an attitude you know you've probably heard attitude of gratitude. I heard that a lot. You need to have an attitude of gratitude young man Um, I heard that a lot as a kid So but it's true, you know, I kind of make fun of that, but it it really is true It's it's a condition of the heart It's an attitude of the heart and I want to break that down for you guys today But first I've got an exercise I want us to do together Now it's not a physical exercise So if you guys were getting nervous when I said that don't worry This is a mental exercise. I'm going to put some pictures up on the screen, and I want you guys, I need audience participation. I want you guys to tell me who or what is the enemy of what's in the picture, or who or what is the opposite of what's in the picture. You think you guys, you think you guys can handle it? You can handle it? All right. All right, let's see. Let's see the first picture. This is a softball pitch for you guys. Who's the enemy here? The devil. Very good. Very good. All right, now you're warmed up. Let's see the real pictures. All right, see the next one. What do we got? Anybody? Kryptonite. Lex Luthor. Yeah, I'll accept multiple answers. That's okay. All right, what about this next one? Fire. Okay, that was pretty unanimous. Good job. Good job. All right, what about this next one? Joker. Riddler, yeah. Lots, lots of options here. Lots of them. Two-Face. Oh, Batman. All right, next one. Rust, yeah. Someone said in the last one, squeaky stuff, right? I like that one. Okay, what about this next one? What about these guys? Ghosts. I was kind of hoping someone would say marshmallows. If you've seen that movie, you might get that. Okay, what about the next one? Darth Vader, Vader, yeah, or the Empire or something like that. All right, and this last one, what about this last one? (laughs) Me? (laughs) The oven, yeah, that's good. This one is sort of a curveball. I didn't really have a good picture for Thanksgiving, so I just picked a turkey. Um, So what I I want to talk about is the enemy of Thanksgiving. Now what I would say, my gut answer, the enemy of Thanksgiving, is this next picture. Yeah. I just, my appetite goes out the window when I look at that picture. That's disgusting. Now I hope some of you guys may eat this. I don't know. If you are, I'm sorry that you have to do that. Um, Yeah, you definitely eat breakfast that day. That's right. So, but what I want to talk about is the enemy of thanksgiving, but really the enemy of thankfulness, the enemy of gratitude. And I'm going to spoil you guys. I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer right now. I don't want you to be thinking about it all service and getting distracted. What is the enemy of gratitude? But the enemy of gratitude, of the enemy of thankfulness, is covetousness. Now, That's sort of a weird word. It's very religious-y sounding. It's kind of awkward to say. It's got a lot of S's, covetousness. Um, But what is covetousness? You've probably heard the root, covet, or to covet, coveting. Um, Essentially, to covet is to want something that's not yours. To want something that God did not intend for you to have. Um, Coveting is actually the tenth commandment. God says in the 10th commandment, do not covet. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife. Do not covet your neighbor's other things. There are lots of things um, that are listed in the 10th commandment. Now, coveting can be different things. It could be material possessions like a house or uh, your neighbor's really sweet jacked up truck parked at his house. Um, It could be something less tangible like power. ...or beauty, control, things like that. Um, coveting can also play itself out in other sins... ...such as lusts, like the command... ...do not covet your neighbor's wife. Um, it, could be, it could be a person like that. Um, I like to consider coveting... ...I call it the marijuana of sins. And I figured a lot of people can really relate to this analogy... ...the marijuana of sins... Um, I I might call it the gateway drug, the gateway drug, the gateway sin. Because in the same way that someone who smokes marijuana, statistically, they're more likely to be led into more dangerous drugs like heroin and cocaine and whatever else is out there. Coveting is the same way. Coveting seems insignificant. It doesn't seem like a big deal. No one really knows that it's going on because it's inside. You might say, oh, it doesn't hurt anybody if I covet. Um, but coveting is a gateway sin in that it leads to more dangerous sins. Coveting leads to lust. Coveting leads to envy, malice, uh, hatred, even murder. We're going to see later on coveting can lead to murder. So it's, it's, it's not as insignificant as we may think it is. Our earthly parents, Adam and Eve, had a big problem with coveting. And I call my earthly parents because... We all, essentially, we descend from them. We all have the same sinful nature. We got our sin nature from Adam and Eve. And had we been in the Garden of Eden, we would have made the same bad decisions that they did. Had we been in their shoes, we still would have chosen to eat the fruit. Um, So we are just like them. And I want to read that story, at least a few verses from in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me there. If you don't, you can raise your hand, and we've got some Bibles in the back. And somebody will get you one of those. Um, if you don't own a Bible and you'd like one, then you can keep this. Consider this one our gift to you. Take it home, write in it, use it as a coaster, whatever you want to do. It's yours. But I want to read from Genesis chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So, real quick, let's take note Adam and Eve had one rule not to eat of this tree. They had the whole world at their disposal, and they had one rule. That's all they had. Don't eat of this tree. Continuing in verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the fruit, it it had three characteristics. The temptation of the fruit was three different characteristics. Um, I think I've made a blank for these on your sheet. By the way, if you're the studious type who like to fill in blanks i tried to make a lot of blanks on your sheet there and i'll try to hit them Um, but if i miss a few feel free to come up to me afterwards i'll help you i'll help you fill them in if that's something that bothers you Um, i know i'm like that i gotta get my blanks gotta get my blanks filled in Um, but the fruit offered three characteristics it was good for food it was a delight to the eyes and it was desired to make one wise and we're going to look in First John, we're going to see these same three characteristics in First John, and they describe what we would call a definition of worldliness. So I want to look at that in First John. If you want to turn with me there, First John. It's in here somewhere. Uh, chapter two, verse 15 through 17. "Do not love the world. Or the, things of, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So those three characteristics are the same things that the fruit ...offered to Adam and Eve, the same things that Adam and Eve were tempted when they, eat, when they ate the fruit. Um, it was the desires of the flesh, so the fruit was good for food. Um, the desires of the eyes, the fruit was a delight to the eyes. And it was a good-looking fruit. Uh, and finally, the pride of life, the fruit was desirable to make one wise. And what we see in 1 John is that these three characteristics describe what we would call worldliness... So to sum up what Adam and Eve saw in the fruit, it was worldliness. They were tempted by worldliness. They coveted worldliness. It wasn't their neighbor's truck or their neighbor's wife. They didn't even have neighbors. All right? There was only one thing that they couldn't have, and that was the fruit from that tree. And it offered worldliness, and that's what they coveted. That's what they wanted for themselves. They lost their sense of gratitude because they coveted this worldliness. They lost their sense of gratitude for all, all that they had. Um, gratitude and covetousness, or thankfulness and covetousness, cannot coexist. They're mutually exclusive. A covetous heart cannot be thankful. And a thankful heart cannot be covetous. So when we, when we covet, when we want stuff that's not ours... It's because we aren't thankful for what we have. We're not satisfied for what we have. We just want more, and we want the things that we can't have. But when we're thankful, we're satisfied with what we have, and we have no desire to want the things that aren't intended for us because we're so thankful for what we have. So covetousness and gratitude cannot coexist. Now, some people might say, why did God even put the tree in the garden? You know, why did he put it there? If he hadn't put that tree there, Adam and Eve, they would have never been tempted. They would have never ate the fruit. We'd all still be in the Garden of Eden running around together. Um, but if you're, if you're asking that, say you're asking the wrong question. The question is, why did Adam and Eve choose the fruit? Why did they covet the worldliness that the fruit offered? Why did they think that they knew better Uh, They knew what was best for themselves, more so than God did. They thought they knew better, and they coveted that worldliness, and they took that worldliness. So the thing is, God had to put the tree there. God had to give them the choice to obey or to disobey, because obedience... Without disobedience, without the opportunity for disobedience, it's just a mindless agreement or a mindless bondage. I tried to find another, a better term for that, but I couldn't. The best I could come up with, with my, was mindless agreement or mindless bondage. If we don't have the choice to disobey, then all we are are just robots pre-programmed to do whatever God wants us to do. But God wants us to choose him. He wants us to choose godliness over worldliness. He wanted that from Adam and Eve. He wanted them to be thankful. He wanted them to choose gratitude over coveting. That's why he had to give them a choice. And the tree was a test of their faith and a test of their love for him. So he said coveting is wanting something that God did not intend for you to have. But what about, what about just wanting What if I want a cup of coffee? I think we're probably out anyways. But what if I just want something? Is that bad? A lot of religions will teach you that to want is bad. Buddhism teaches you you shouldn't want things. You need to empty yourself of all wants and desires. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we were created to want. We all want. From the youngest to the oldest, we all want. And God created us to want. And he created us to want, and he wants us to want good things. He wants us to want good things because he is the author of good. You know, if we want good things, then we agree that God is good. And when we agree that he is good, we bring him glory. God wants us to want a happy life, a healthy family, good food, He wants us to want to enjoy His creation. And when we want those things, we agree that those are great. And we agree that God created those things for us to want and to enjoy. And when we want good things, we bring God glory. And not only does He want us to want good things, ultimately, He wants us to want Him. That's what He wanted Adam and Eve to choose in in the garden. He wanted them to choose obedience over disobedience. He wanted them uh, to choose gratitude over covetousness, godliness over worldliness. And when we want what God wants for us, not what we think is best, but when we want want what God wants for us, he's going to fulfill those wants. The more we want what he wants, the more he's going to give, and the more thankful we will be when he gives us what He wants, and we want the same thing. A lot of wants going in there. hope I didn't confuse you. Um, So when we want how God wants, He gives us more, and the more He gives, the more thankful we become because we wanted how He wanted, not how we wanted. So the problem with coveting is not that it's wanting something. It's that it's the wrong kind of wanting. It's not a godly wanting. It's a sinful, selfish Wanting. And I want to read from James. James does a good job of describing that uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. This is what I was talking about earlier when I said coveting is a gateway. Sin, it leads to more dangerous sins. And here it led people to kill to get what they wanted. They coveted and then they killed for the thing that they wanted. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. I love James. It's one of my favorite books. James is not afraid to tell it like it is. I mean, he he calls them like, like he sees them. He calls them adulterers. You adulterers! Exclamation point. That's a big deal. And they didn't call them adulterers because they were committing adultery. Although some of them probably were committing adultery. He calls them adulterers because adultery, in essence, is taking something that's not yours. It's taking another man's wife. It's taking another woman's husband. And it had to start with coveting. Nobody commits adultery without first coveting. Most sins don't happen unless we covet first. Coveting leads to these other sins. So he calls them adulterers because they were taking things that weren't theirs, taking things that they weren't intended to have. That's why he uses that term adulterers. But James explains here, he he relates again coveting and worldliness. Just like Adam and Eve chose worldliness in the garden, they coveted worldliness. James describes coveting as having a friendship with the world. And when you are a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So the coveting led to worldliness, which in turn makes them an enemy of God. So coveting is the wrong kind of wanting. It's wanting what we think is best, not what God knows is best, and not what God intends for us, but what we think is best. And it leads to greater sins. Um, Whereas thankfulness... Thankfulness drives out coveting, just like coveting drives out thankfulness. So if, when, when we covet, it's because we have impure motives. Just like James, just like James said, um, he said, even when you ask, you don't get it because your, mo- your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. So we can't be thankful because we covet, and when we sorry i got I got it backwards there we a covetous heart cannot be thankful, right? I said that earlier, so we're not thankful because we covet, and we covet because we're not thankful, thankful it's a cycle, and it's a we can't get out of it unless our hearts are pure unless we have pure motives because coveting, like we said, in essence, is wanting it's a it's a sinful wanting, a covetous wanting, so we need. A pure motive in order to want in a godly way, not in a covetous way. But we can't have a pure motive for wanting unless we first have a pure heart. Jesus said a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So if we have a bad heart, a sinful heart, we're not going to be able to be thankful over being covetous. We first have to have that pure heart. And the only way to get the pure heart is through faith, through faith in Jesus if, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, then you have been given a new heart. God has taken your old heart of stone and given you a new, pure heart of flesh. And only with a pure heart can you ever have pure motives for wanting. But even so, even when you have that pure heart, we, we are still prone to sin. We are still tempted and we are still prone to fall into coveting and, and other sins. But thankfully, we have what I would call a powerful weapon to fight covetousness. I think this is a blank on your sheet, but I want to ask, does anybody have a guess what this powerful weapon is that we have for coveting? It's not a lightsaber or, or a Ghostbuster thing, whatever those are. Does anybody have a guess of a powerful weapon that we have for coveting? Gratitude, Jesus. Yeah. That's what I was looking for. If we ever ask a question, you could pretty much say Jesus or God, and it's going to be right. Um, But even more specifically than Jesus, I would say the gospel, which is sort of interchangeable. But the gospel is the weapon that we have for for fighting covetousness. Just like Adam and Eve in, in the garden, they had everything to be thankful for. Everything to be thankful for. They had the whole world. They lived in the Garden of Eden. It was was a perfect world. There was no sin. There was no evil, no death, no uh, pain and childbirth. I bet a few of you ladies could be appreciative of that. Um, But they had everything to be thankful for, yet they weren't thankful. But just like Adam and Eve had everything to be thankful for, we have everything to be thankful for through Jesus. We have a sin debt that is so great. It's so big, we can't even imagine it. And it it's so great, we can never repay it. If we had our entire lives, even on into eternity, to work off our sin debt, we would never be able to repay that debt. We, we are so sinful, we, we can't imagine it. There's a quote I like by a pastor named Tim Keller. He says, We are more wicked and sinful... Than we ever dared believe. So some of you guys might think, yeah, I'm I'm a pretty bad person, I sin a lot, there's no way God would love me. But really, you're way worse than you think. (laughs) We're more sinful than we ever dared to even believe. But he always follows it up with a but. But at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. So this is sort of the gospel summed up in two sentences. We, we're so sinful, our debt is so great, we can never pay. But we are so loved and accepted in Christ then we, more than we ever dared hope. That's what we have to be thankful for. That is the good news of the gospel. And if we realize the scope of this, if we realize how big our debt is, the fact that Jesus paid it, he gives, us our right, our, he gives us His righteousness, and in turn, we can be spotless and clean. All we have to do is accept that through faith. If, if we truly can grasp that, then there, our hearts should be so full of gratitude that there's no room for coveting. That, that should drive out all coveting. That's why I say it's a powerful weapon. It's our first line of defense against coveting. So the, the the best way to fight coveting is to hear the gospel declared. Whether you hear that here on Sundays, whether you hear it when you read your Bible at home, whether you hear it in your time alone with God or in prayer, the best way to fight it is to hear the gospel declared. So we need to preach ourselves the gospel. We need to continually remind ourselves of this good news in order to drive away covetousness. Now, in addition to that, James offers some more practical advice uh, in, the, in, the other, in some verses following what I just read. So just after he gets done railing on the Jews for being coveting and calling them adulterers, he, he gives them this advice. He says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. So, Like I said, this is sort of some practical advice from James. I just want to run through them really quick. The first thing he says is humble yourself. Humble yourself before God. We need to acknowledge that our life, it's not about us. Our life is about Him. Our life is about worshiping Him, glorifying God. That's what we were created. We were all created to worship and to worship God. We weren't created to want things that we weren't intended to have and to try to get them somehow. Uh, we were created to worship God and bring him glory. Secondly, he says, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee. Temptation is from the devil. The devil and his minions, that's what I like to call them. Um, it's not from God. God doesn't tempt us. The Bible teaches God does not tempt us. The devil tempts us. And if we resist the devil, he will flee. He, he's not going to be gone forever you know they're they're just going to re, regroup and come up with another strategy and come at you with something else but if we resist temptation if we resist the devil he will flee thirdly come close to god or draw near to god and he will draw near to you so god wants us he wants us to choose obedience just like he wanted that from adam and eve he wants us to come close to him he wants a relationship with us and if we come close to him He, in turn, will come close to us. He will draw near to us. Fourthly, he says, Wash your hands and purify your hearts. So in other words, confess. Confess your covetousness. Confess that you want things that God doesn't intend for you to have. And not only confess, but accept his forgiveness. We have to accept his forgiveness. He freely offers forgiveness, but if we don't accept it, then it's no good to us. So confess confess your sins and accept his forgiveness. Fifthly, repent from your sin. Let the grief of your sins drive you to repentance. Don't just have regret. Don't just have remorse. Don't just feel bad that you hurt someone. But repent. And repent literally means to turn 180 degrees and go the other direction. It doesn't just mean stop, but it means stop, turn around, and go away from the direction that you were headed. So don't just have regret, but repent from your sin. And six, and finally, he begins and ends with humility. He tells us that if we do all this with humility, God will lift us up. And he, he thinks humility isn't important enough to mention twice. He starts with humility and ends with humility, so that is crucial. So, as you guys as you guys leave today, I want you to to think, to ask yourself, Do I tend towards towards covetousness, or do I tend towards thankfulness? Because they, they can't they can exist together. We, we're either one or the other. And think about the way that you you want. Is it is it a godly wanting? Do you want what God wants for you, what He knows is best for you, or do you want what you think is best? Do you, do you have more of a selfish, covetous wanting or a godly wanting? If you realize that you have that covetous wanting in you, then you need to use the weapon. You need to use the gospel. Preach yourself the gospel. Hear the gospel. Read the gospel. Pray the gospel. Think about the gospel. Meditate on the gospel, the good news that Jesus paid your debt. Uh, if you think about that, then that is going to cause thankfulness to well up within you, and you won't have room for coveting. Once we, once we can grasp the magnitude of that debt that we owe, and once we can grasp the concept that Jesus came down to earth and paid the debt that we owed Him, we owed Him the debt, but He paid it, and then gave us righteousness, all we have to do is accept it in faith. Once we can get that, once we fully understand that, our hearts should be so full of gratitude and thankfulness that coveting is just completely driven out and there's no room left for coveting. And all we have is thankfulness. So just remind yourself of that good news and that will produce a thankful life or an attitude of gratitude, as I said. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that we can read your word, we can hear your word, and know that it is absolute truth that will never change and that will last forever, God. We, we can put faith in your word. God, I thank you for the good news of the gospel. The good news that Jesus paid our debt. And a debt so big we can't even imagine. We have so much to be thankful for through that payment alone. But God, you also gave us your righteousness and you offer us eternal life. Father, we, we are so thankful. I pray that you would remind us of this good news on a daily basis. And that we, when we are tempted to covet and we, when we are tempted to go into uh, to deeper more dangerous sins, God, that we would be reminded of this good news and that we would be so thankful for what we have that we wouldn't even have room in our, in our minds to even think about coveting, God. I pray for our time as w- of worship, that your name would be lifted up uh, and that we would all just be together in unity uh, and, and lift up praise to your name, God, not for our glory, not for our sake, but for your name.